All right, I suppose that light will come on about halfway through the message, lighten things up a little bit. Anyway, <clears throat> we'll go to 1 Peter chapter 1. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So tonight we're going to be looking at Peter and the conquest of inconsistency. Conquest of inconsistency. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word. Thank you again for these. men and women of the Bible that we, and their lives that we can study, the things that are recorded for us. We thank you, Father, that your word gives an honest look at even at those that would be considered the heroes of the faith. They were not without fault. They were men and women just like we are and had struggles and had strengths and weaknesses. And I pray, Father, if we look at their life of Peter tonight, that you encourage our hearts and challenge us and help us to search our own hearts. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Peter, of course, is a very popular character in the New Testament. Uh, His name is mentioned more than any other um, in the New Testament. 210 times his name is mentioned. Um, I'm sorry, 159. Paul, well, 210, you know, sometimes it's called Simon or Cephas, and Peter. Peter, most common. 159 is Peter. Paul is mentioned 156 times. But he's one of those characters that, um, you know, can cause, um, somebody said it can cause slanted news. The story goes that the principal received a disturbing phone call from the parent one evening, and the parent wanted to know why the school had supervisors that taught heretical and false doctrine from the Bible. And the principal was shocked by the accusation. He learned that a five-year-old child from the Learning to Read program told his mother that his supervisor said, quote, the Apostle Peter sucked his toes, unquote. Well, instead of the parent calling the supervisor to get the full story, she called another parent to see if, the child, if the child, her child heard the same thing. The second parent asked her child, did her child, did, did, uh, <clears throat> did the supervisor say during devotions that Peter sucked his toes? The second child thought about it and said, Yes. Then this parent called another parent. And finally, one parent called the principal to complain. The principal called the supervisor and asked if, you know, if there's anything that you could have said that would have made these kids think that you said Peter sucked his toes. And after thinking about it a minute, she says, well, I did say that Peter was always sticking his foot in his mouth. <clears throat> that is a true statement, unfortunately. Peter was uh, a man as... As we are, uh, <clears throat> he had struggles in the flesh. Uh, he he was he had he was impetuous, um, bold, and yet very cowardly at times. Uh, <clears throat> he didn't have the educational advantages like Paul, but he was a man of extremes, not naturally strong, although you read some of the things about his life and you'd think, oh, he's strong, you know, he's bold. But in other occasions, he, for example, 
actually, you know, uh, his life, you know, reveals bravery and cowardice, you know, this erotic, unpredictable behavior, great faith, and then great doubt. When they're in the garden, he's the one that drew out the sword and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. And just within the day, denies three times that even knows who the Lord is. Now, that not seem inconsistent. I mean, we don't know how many. There was a band of soldiers came to arrest them, and before this whole band, there's only 12 of them, plus Jesus. No, there, well, no, there's 12 of them. Judas is with them. <laughs> so there's only 12 of them. And he whips out a sword and cuts off the servant's ear. You know, and there's probably hundreds of them. And yet, to a little maid and a couple people, he denies he even knows the Lord. Uh, so he was the first to confess Christ, divine nature. Thou art, he's the one that said, thou art the Christ, and of course the first to deny the Lord. He was the first to go into the empty tomb, and then the first to go back to his old occupation. John 20 said, 21, I go fishing. He was giving up. Just giving up. He was the only one that said to Jesus, bid me walk on the water. And he got out of the boat and walked on the water. But he doubted when he got out there. <laughs> you know. You know, he preaches boldly after the, after the day of Pentecost. He preaches boldly before the Jews. And he says, you know, he talks to them about Jesus, whom ye crucified. God has made him both Lord and Christ. And then he goes down to Antioch. And of course, there's Gentiles at Antioch. You know, and he had preached the gospel to Cornelius, the first Gentile to be saved. <clears throat> but he, so he goes down, but he goes down to Antioch, and he's eating with the Gentiles, which to the Jews is a no-no. They're not supposed to eat with the Gentiles. You know, that's ceremonially unclean. But you know, in Christ, there's no such thing as ceremonially unclean. <clears throat> and so he's eating with the Gentiles, and all of a sudden, there's some. Brethren come from Jerusalem uh, and that are Jews, and so Peter's worried about what are they going to think, so he withdraws himself. You see, what you see here is a man who, at times, caves to what other people think. He's fearful of what other people think. You know, he had a... He had a right concept of who Christ was, but yet a wrong concept of what the work of Christ was, to die for our sins. He was the one that said, be it far from thee, Lord. You know, the, you, you, you're not going to die. And of course, that's when Jesus had to say to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savest not the things that be of God, the things that be of men. So what you see here is a, a struggle within Peter, and yet the Lord called him to be one of his disciples and, that, and spent three and a half years with him. And, you know, probably no other disciple was rebuked as severely as Peter. But of the original 12, Peter was probably the most, uh, he, was, he was definitely the out, most outspoken and and the one that was in the forefront, of course, became the pastor of the church at Jerusalem after the Lord 
um, was crucified or resurrected. So Peter did not remain like this. Uh, and here in First and Second Peter, we have letters of encouragement to suffering people. That's what these are. You know, First Peter is particularly about suffering. Second Peter is about the apostasy. And, of course, we're going to suffer during that apostasy, too. And he's given these people counsel. And really, if you think about that, all this has to do with is, a lot of this has to do with, look, you need to continue to trust the Lord. You need to rest in Him. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't be afraid of other people. Don't, don't guide your life or govern your life uh, as it concerns others. Keep your eyes on the Lord. He speaks of an inheritance in verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So, so keep trusting the Lord. Don't, don't turn away from the Lord. You know, there are, there, and, and you know, this is all about seasons of trials and persecutions, and they're all made bearable by the, by the, uh, and endurable by the presence of Christ. Notice verses 7 and 8. That to try your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, that be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. <clears throat> so, so, you know, and he talks about the, the enduring virtues of Christian character, <coughs> excuse me, uh, in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, <clears throat> where he tells them, you know, we're to add to our faith. Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 3 says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue. And so Peter had to come to understand these things himself. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption as in the world through lust. See, if Peter back before would have just laid hold of the fact that Jesus said, Yes, I'm going to be crucified, but three days later I'm going to rise. See, if he had just grabbed hold of the promise before, all he was looking at was the death part. And he said, we ain't having this. Not so, Lord. No, he said, the precious, great and precious promises, it's through these you become partakers of the divine nature. You you think about Joshua for a minute. It wasn't, I don't believe that Joshua wasn't ever afraid. Why did God tell him over and over again, be of good courage? Meditate in the word of God. That's where you find the promise. The promise that God, God made concerning the land, that he was going to give them the land. That was, that's, where, that's where they, that's, that's how they understood that. And so, so he, he, he told Joshua, be not afraid of their faces. Don't be afraid of their faces. And this is what Peter had to learn. Through the great and precious promises, you become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruptions in the world through lust. 
beside this, and then he starts, you know, sorry, we're going to, into to mathematics here, but we need to add to your faith. Virtue. In other words, this is called growth. Virtue, and virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, the patience, godliness, and the, <coughs> excuse me, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, these are the things that need to be solidified in the life, in our lives. And it goes back to those promises of God. Our Christian character is built on the promises of God, embracing the promises of God. You know, if you embrace the promises of God, you won't be afraid of what's going on out there in the world. Because God's in control. You know, He hasn't left His throne. He hasn't given up His throne. He's still in control of things. And and we can be fruitful in the midst. If you notice in verse 8, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, think about something. Was it easier for Peter after Jesus was crucified or before? By human standards. It was easier before. I mean, the persecution came after the resurrection. That's when the persecution came. That's when they had, that's, you know, he was, he was even put in jail by Herod, Herod intending to kill him. He had killed James. So it was worse before, but now all of a sudden, Peter doesn't have this fear that he had before. <clears throat> so he said we can be fruitful even in the midst of those difficult times. And of course, it, you know, he, he prepared them uh, for the future in, uh, uh, and, and for fruitfulness in chapter 4 of First uh, Peter, verses 12. He told them, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as so some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy." If there's a fiery trial, if you're being faithful to the Lord and there's a trial, it's just added proof that Christ is with you, that you are a partaker of Christ's sufferings. You see, to Peter now, suffering is seen as one of the privileges of the Christian life. Not that he tried to be persecuted. You know, nobody tries. Nobody, I don't think anybody does that. But, um, but it is seen as one of the privileges. You know, counted worthy. You know, in Acts chapter 4, they, they rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. The Bible tells us. So how did this change come about with Peter? How did it come back? Well, I think it all goes back to John chapter 21. Go back there if you would. And the Lord visiting Peter on the shores of the lake after he said he was going back to fishing. In verse 15 it says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? It's interesting, I believe sometimes the wording, and and I, I don't think I'm reading any more into this, but... You know, Simon means hearing. 
Jonah means dove-like or docile or weak. And the Lord addresses him as Simon, son of Jonah. Lovest thou me more than these? Now, Peter has shown some real weaknesses in his life. And I think Jesus is addressing him, and look, Peter, you need to recognize you have some weaknesses. You, Peter was the kind of guy that didn't want anybody to think that he was weak in any way. He'd be the first to speak up. And yet, many times he was the first to cave when the pressure was on. You know, many times, as a result of it, was, a lot of it was just a fear of people. And so the Lord's addressing it. Peter, you need, to, you need to recognize you have weaknesses. You know, if, if, if we are going to be fruitful in the work of God, we have to realize we have weaknesses. And if we're going to overcome those weaknesses, we have to surrender them to the Lord. And this is what Peter did. So Peter, the Lord here is addressing this, I believe, directly. And he saith unto him, of course, he saith unto Peter, Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. You know, you, really, you, really, you know everything. You know me, don't you? You know the real me. You know, I can put on this front, and I can look good, but you know the real me. And yet the Lord wants and desires to work in Peter's life. He wants to help Peter or give Peter the ability to overcome his weakness. And of course, Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. And then verse 18, he says, verily, verily, I say unto thee. Now he's talking directly to Peter. The word thee is singular. When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. You know, Peter did basically what he wanted when he was younger. But the Lord's saying to Peter, Peter, if you're going to follow me, others are going to do things to you that you don't want done. You're going to be led to places you wouldn't want to go. You're going to be led to places Simon, son of Jonas, doesn't want to go. But Peter, which means strength, will go. And so, do you love me? Do you love me? This was a question that the Lord asked of Peter. And so this change was brought about as a result of this experience with Christ, this restoration of Peter. And, and, and so the Lord asked him 
Do you love me more than these? And I, and I think, you know, who are the these there? Well, I believe it referred to all the others that were around there. The disciples. See, Peter was often worried about what do those disciples think? I want to be the, I want to be the, I want to be the, be the big, big head honcho here, you know. I'm going to be the first to talk, and I'm going to be this, and I'm going to be that. And it was to impress or to control or to lead the others. It was ambition, self ambition. Self-ambition. It was for the promotion of Peter. You know, it kind of reminded me, it made me think of what Brother Hoyle taught just a couple of weeks ago about Joab. Joab wasn't interested. Oh, Joab was, was, was very loyal to David, but not really. What Joab wanted to preserve was the kingdom so that he had a place in the kingdom. So really, the reality was, his loyalty really wasn't to David. It was to David because David was the king. And so if Adonijah would become king, then he'd be loyal to Adonijah too. Because it solidified him a position in the kingdom. And I believe that's what Peter's problem is. You lovest thou me more than these? What if these won't follow you? You know, it's sad, I think, I fear, that men win ministry because it gives them power over people. That's a terrible thing, a way to run a ministry. But it gives, it puts you in a position of leadership. And so do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than yourself? Do you love me more than other people? More than the other disciples? Do you have more respect for me than for them? You know, the, his, his faulting or denying the Lord was really, the, really boils down to he was more fearful of what those people thought at the, at the uh, um, trial of Jesus than he was doing what's right. So when the pressure was on, he was protecting Peter. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. In Proverbs 28.21, To have respect of persons is not good. For for a piece of bread that man will transgress. You know, James warns us over and over about showing respect of persons. You know, he talks in chapter five. You know, you have one come in with, with, with gay apparel. You know, dressed dressed real fancy. In other words, it's obvious as a person of means. And then you have this poor person, and you say to this, this, this wealthy person, sit ye here in this, in this really good position, and you say to this poor person, sit way back there in the corner. He said, are you not partial and become judges? <clears throat> Your leadership 
if you're going to be a leader, Peter, if you're going to be a pastor, you can't be a respecter of persons. So ambition has to go. Uh, Go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And this is, you know, again, this is the same chapter in which Peter, uh, Peter had declared that Jesus was the Christ, verses uh, uh, 17, uh, verse 16, and then, of course, Jesus told him that he was going to suffer many things, be killed, and be raised again the third day, and that's when Peter began to rebuke him and said, Lord, this shall not be unto thee, and of course, that's when Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. And then in verse 24 it says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So you love me more than these, Peter. You see, we need to have what, what, what needed to happen in Peter's life is he needed to have his priorities right. The Lord had to have his first love. First love. You know, there's a church that's addressed in the book of Revelation that was warned about losing its candlestick. In other words, it was warned about ceasing to become a New Testament church. Remember why? Because it had left its first love. Christ no longer had preeminence. Although they had all the markings of a faithful church. I mean, they were trying those that were said they were apostles and were not, found them liars, and you know they put preachers to the test. They just didn't let anybody in preach to their congregation. They were very active. And yet, he said, you've left your first love. It was sort of like on autopilot, you know. You know, we have to, you know, I remember years ago, <clears throat> there was a man I knew who studied for the ministry. And then, uh, then he got married, had a few kids, and uh, he wasn't independent Baptist, but anyway, but nevertheless, he got married and had a few kids, and his uncle said, but, yeah, well, he's got a family now. And I thought to myself, so because you have a family, you can't, if the Lord's called you into the ministry, you can't go into the ministry because you've got a family? Who's to have preeminence? We must love the Lord more than these. More than these. So, this, this, this uh, change brought about as a result of the experience with Christ and putting Christ as first love. Secondly, we, he through it, he rece- receives power to overcome his weakness. <coughs> Somebody says power is the result of experience 
and continual filling of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is true. And without love for Christ, that's not going to happen. There has to be a devotion to the Lord. That's what really love is, a devotion to the Lord. He has preeminence. And this is what, this is what followed on, the, on the, this uh, account here with Peter. Uh, love is an attribute of character. Power is an equipment of ability, you might say. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 4 through 5 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 through 5. Paul said, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you would be grieved. Wait a minute, do I have the right? Uh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, I'm on 2 Corinthians. That didn't look right. 1 Corinthians 2, yeah. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in this demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, you know, Paul, being the educated man he was, being able to quote the poets and all that sort of stuff, he could probably give you, he probably could have given a very impressive speech. But he didn't do that. He said, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words. I didn't try to twist your arms. I didn't try to manipulate you. No. It was simply in the demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And this is the power we need. You know, this power, again, is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. I mentioned that Joshua feared, but though... Submitting to the Lord, he overcame that fear. And again, in Joshua 1.9, he says, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Now, if Joshua wasn't afraid, why did he have to tell him that? I mean, surely, when Joshua faced all those con- that confederation of kings with their chariots and horses, and they had no horses, they didn't even have proper battle equipment. They're all on foot. And those chariots, oftentimes in battle, they had like knives on the outside of the wheels so they could run through a crowd of people and it would cut you to pieces as you go by, as it goes by. And yet God says, hey, don't be afraid. And that's really in chapter 11, verse 6, that's what he's talking about. The Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them, for tomorrow, about this time, will I deliver them up all slain before Israel. Thou shalt hawk their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Yet we find this throughout the Scriptures, this principle, in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15, speaking to Jehoshaphat, and there was a whole multitude, a great host came against Jerusalem and Judea, and he said, Hearken ye, all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, this is Zechariah, I believe, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Don't be afraid. 
This is why David wasn't afraid. Why? Because what did David say when he went against Goliath? The battle is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. See, Peter come to understand the battle is the Lord's. It's not mine. I don't need to worry about me. I'm God's child, and God said he will take care of me. You know, Hezekiah, when, when Sennacherib came against Judah, Hezekiah tells the people in 2 Chronicles 32, 7, Be strong and be courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with, with him. And then he sends to Isaiah, and Isaiah tells Hezekiah in Isaiah 37, 6, And Isaiah said to them, Thus shall you say unto your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words that thou hast heard, wherewith the servants of the king of Syria have blasphemed me. Again, the psalmist David said, What time I am afraid. See, it's not that you're never afraid. There's many times where I was afraid. And then there'd be places I'd go into where I should have been afraid and I wasn't. I remember early on in the ministry, we had this guy, and I believe he had been demon-possessed. He'd talk about, you know, different things, and how he beat up, I think, three cops at one time, and, and, uh, <clears throat> and my wife said to me one day, and, 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 and then we had this family coming from Lewistown to our church, and, and, uh, and they were faithful people. And, and Ed walks in one Sunday morning, and he knew him. Because they used to live in Lewistown, and the church that they were involved in Lewistown had a bus ministry, which he worked on. He said, we'd go to a house to pick up his kids, and he'd lay a butcher knife on the table. And my wife said to me one day, aren't you afraid to go there? I said, guess I never thought about it. Either I was very naive and stupid, or the Lord gave me courage. Yes, the Lord gave me courage. I wasn't afraid of him. Though some people were. But I wasn't afraid of him. See, the psalmist said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. See, Peter had to learn that when he was afraid, he just needed to trust in the Lord. The Lord allowed this situation, Peter, trust me through it. Trust me through it. So Peter is no longer controlled by these erratic feelings. In fact, he wrote in 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, and uh, verse 9, you know, Brother uh, Smith preached on this on Sunday. It says, But ye are a chosen generation, 1 Peter 2 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. You are a purchased possession, a peculiar possession. So, so you are the possession of God. You belong to God. That you should show forth the praise of Him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 
Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And this fear is a fleshly lust. It's something of the flesh that Peter had. You know, it was a love of self. That's what it was. It was, it was about self-preservation. It was about preserving me. And the Lord said, hey, Peter, you need to let go of that. You let go of that. You let me preserve you. And I will preserve you unto my heavenly kingdom. So let go and let me preserve you. And then in chapter 5, he gives his counsel, I believe from experience, how to overcome inconsistency. Verse 6. Well, let's read verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the under. Yea, all of you, here it is, yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. You know, the Lord resisted Peter when he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. And when he said, Simon, son of Jonas, three times, he was working at Peter's heart, trying to get to Peter's heart and overcoming that resistance that Peter had to yielding his preservation to the Lord. Giving himself up. But he gives grace. See, he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care. Every situation, every circumstance, care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, you're going to have an enemy, you have an enemy as a roaring lion. When they said to, to, to Peter in the, in the, uh, at the trial, hey, you're one of those, that was the roaring lion. That made Peter afraid. That was the adversary. That was threatening the security of Peter. Because, you know, what if he admits he's one of them? What are they going to do to me? Why be implicated also in this? See, that was the roaring lion. But notice, he's just a roaring lion who walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist, Peter says. You need to resist him steadfast in the faith. You just need to remain trusting the Lord. Don't let him shake you from the foundation of God's promise. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brother. There's others that are suffering things like you in the world. And then the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, Peter became a changed man. After that meeting with the Lord on the shores of Galilee. He became a changed man. 
He went places where he would not have gone. You know, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Those are all places. Now, Asia could be, you know, that's a very broad description, but those other places are all places in what modern-day Turkey. But we also believe that he went to Babylon. 1 Peter 5, 13, the church that is a Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you. And so doth Marcus, my son. Now some will try and say, that means Rome. There's no reason to infer that. No, he was over in that part of the world. He was already in Asia. Babylon, of course, is in modern-day Iran. So he was already in that part of the world. You see, Peter had come to trust, to put his fears on the Lord and rest in Him, thereby conquering his inconsistencies. He became established and strengthened and settled. He wasn't always that way. But the Lord so worked in his life. And through his love for the Lord and devotion to him and holding on to the promises of God, he became not inconsistent, but consistent Peter. May we have that kind of devotion to overcome our weaknesses that we might be fruitful in his service. Let's pray.